All right, crew, man, what an amazing opportunity it is to be here with y'all. I've been looking forward to this for a very long time, and I've been praying for it, and I appreciate you guys coming out. And those of you that invited friends, I appreciate you that have come to visit with us. And we don't have a lot of time, and so I'll probably throughout the weeks we'll get more time to small talk, but I want to, I just want to jump right in. As most of you know that we're in the middle of our 21 days of prayer. If you haven't already gotten a 21 day of prayer guide, I've got some on the table back there in the back. But today is day four of our 21 days of prayer. And I'm going to go ahead and begin with our prayer focus for today. And for the next three Wednesdays, we'll do this up until Easter is when our 21 days of prayer go through, obviously. So um, our prayer text for today is from Mark chapter 11 verse 25 and the focus for today is prayer for reconciliation prayer for reconciliation so give me a moment while i pull up the text here and i will read it out and then we'll pray briefly and then we'll get into our lesson for today the verse says and i'm reading from the esd and whatever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. I think this is a awesome way to start off. Not only our spring equip, but really just our spring. A lot of folks do spring cleaning and stuff like that um, at this time of year. Um, I think it's time for us to do a little spiritual cleaning. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of take a little stock of the junk <laughs> that you've that you've um, accumulated perhaps throughout this season or maybe just over COVID. Any bitterness, any unforgiveness, any setbacks that you feel that you've been dealt at the hand of another, whoever, whatever, it doesn't matter. Man, I would encourage you, as Paul says in Romans 12, 12, I beseech you, let it go. Now is the time. As we look into um, prayer, I pray that God will convict us all of any feelings of ill will that we have towards one another and be ready to let those go. So I'm going to pray not only for that idea, but just for our spring equip session and for our lesson today and for the next 10 weeks as we begin. If you haven't already done so before I forget, please sign in in the back. Don't do it now because it'll be rude. I'm going to be praying here shortly. <laughs> But make sure you sign in in the back and um, just let us know that you're that you're here. And you know what? Do me a favor. For those of you that are listening on a podcast, go ahead and shoot Jay an email or, you know, something just saying, hey, um, I checked in. I, I logged in on the podcast and I was listening to you guys, man. So appreciate the support. Do something like that for me. OK, let us begin. Dear Lord, I thank you for the idea of reconciliation, Father God, that we through Christ are reconciled to you. Therefore, we too are to be reconciled to one another, Father God. And I pray that you will just help us to let go of any ill will or feelings of, of being slighted or whatever um, today, Lord God. I pray also that you would lead us and guide us through our study, not only today, but for the next 10 weeks, Father God. I pray that you will use this lesson to show us our role in your mission on earth and get us the opportunity to get to work in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've ever gone through our membership class here in the last few years, you would have gotten a book that looks sort of like this. 
And this is, for lack of a better title, I'm going to call it our, our church orientation guide. It goes over, you know, our policies and our beliefs and our core values and our mission and vision and so forth. It's a really good book to have. I don't know many churches that have such a concise way of illustrating that or explaining that. This is amazing. But on the back of the book, the very last page, before you get to the end of the book, it says, what is God calling you to do? And there's a chair just kind of <laughs> sitting in a hallway, um, kind of alone. It looks kind of depressing. But what is God calling you to do? Have you ever pondered that question? What is God calling you to do? And I would ask you today, what is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? What in the world are you here for? That's a tough question to answer. What is your life's mission? What are you on earth for? I would argue that whatever your answer to that question is, is how you have ended up where you are in life. If you know your life's mission or you know your life's purpose, then I'm going to say that you have followed out a specific trajectory to end up where you are today. And if you don't know that, then perhaps that's how you ended up where you are here today. The way that you answer that question really determines your trajectory in life. Could you in one sentence summarize your life's mission? I don't know if anything I could do in one sentence, but could you? Before we really get deep into answering that question, I'd like to first just begin to, to break that apart a little bit. And before you can answer your specific personal response to it, I'd like to um, ask you to have an open mind and consider what God says your life's purpose is. In, in Psalms 139 verses 14 and 15, we read, I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. We understand from this verse here two things about how we're made. Two adjectives or perhaps adverbs. I think they're adverbs. I was fearfully, and then secondly, I was wonderfully made. Fearfully means that God designed you just right. Wonderfully means that He designed you to reflect His creativity and power. And He put you together. He knit you. He knitted your, you together in your mother's womb for a specific purpose in a specific way. Think about this sweater that I have on right now. This sweater was put together by the folks at Columbia. They're the creators of it, right? Um, the purpose of the sweater was to keep people warm, I guess. I don't know. Not very fashionable, so I don't think that was their intent. Therefore, the way that they knit together this sweater indicated its purpose, right? It was made fearfully right, with power and intent and wonderfully with creativity in mind. 
And that's how God created us according to Psalm 139. Do you tend to think of yourself as being fearfully and wonderfully made? What would you change about your life if you really believed that was true? I'll be honest, there are times in my life where I struggle to be mindful of this or I forget it, honestly. I was put up for adoption at a very early age in life, basically when I was a newborn. And about a year after that, um, my mother and father who adopted me and were married, my father left. So before I was like three years old, I had three different parents essentially just say, no, not this guy. I'm not going to raise him. Right. And that that from time to time, that kind of that bothers me. Right. But then I'm reminded that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I do have value. I do have purpose that God has a plan for me in spite of people who perhaps weren't interested in being a part of that plan in my life. Right. God fearfully and wonderfully made me. And so when I think of that, it gives me it changes the direction that I walk. It changes how I act. It even affects my confidence, right? Our life's mission is informed by our created design. To be fearfully made, if we understand that, that means that we are to take care of ourselves, care for our body, right? Our self-esteem and so forth changes. But to be wonderfully made also means that we, if we understand that, we are wonderfully made. It means that we will live our lives in a way to reflect that. If you know that God made you with a purpose, with power, then you're going to do everything you can to make sure that you can live out your life to glorify God. This is our life's mission. I'll say this on day one, within 10 minutes of starting this lesson. Your life's mission is to first acknowledge that God made you, and second, that He made you to glorify Him. What an amazing truth that is. But if you don't believe that right now, I'd ask you just to hold on to it as your working definition as you work through these next 10 weeks. And we're going to do our best to help you to see that. All right. In Genesis chapter one, we know that from the very beginning, God made us with a purpose. In verses 26 through 28 of chapter one, we read that then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of heaven, and over this livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his image. In his image, God created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heaven and over every living thing that moves on earth. There was a theme or a thread or, or um, there were some words repeated in that passage. In his image and likeness. I counted three different times that we see this idea of being made in the image of God. God making us in his image. I see it being repeated three different times. So we know that from the very beginning, that was our design. That was God's intent for us. And things, well, we know things didn't stay cool in the neighborhood. It wasn't all good in the hood. 
we know that there was sin that entered the garden. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, we know that there was the fall. And what we define as the fall is the point where Adam and Eve first sinned against God. It was the first encounter of sin in the world. And it changed things. And I'd love to, if you're new to church or you're new to Christianity, I would ask you to, to talk to someone about what exactly that means. If I can explain it briefly, it's the point where man disobeyed God, and because of that, we are all now broken, essentially. There is a punishment that was sent down from God on the earth, on God's people, or God's creation at least, um, in response to our sin towards God. But we know that even after sin, God didn't just give up on us. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, we read that, this book, or let me start over here. Genesis 5, chapter 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. So I'm, as we move forward through Genesis, we see not only did God create them in the beginning with purpose in his image, we move forward after the fall, then we see that God still is taking credit for creating Adam and Eve in his image, creating mankind in his image. So we see even after the fall that we're still in God's image. We're still made in the image of God. And even if we move beyond the fall to after the flood, we see in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his image. You see, there's this theme. Even after the fall, even after the flood, we are still being made in the image of God. God didn't get rid of us. He didn't let us go. He didn't forget about us. He didn't banish us. He still recognized that we were made in His image. And that's a big deal. If we look throughout Scripture, we'll know that we are the apple of God's eye. We are His pride and joy. And when I say we, I'm not talking to the Christians only here. I'm talking humankind. God made each and every one of us in His likeness, with purpose, fearfully and wonderfully made. God did that. We know in Psalms 17, 8, Zechariah 2, 8, Deuteronomy 32, 10, if you're taking notes, you can find this idea of being the apple of God's eye everywhere in Scripture. We're special to Him. And He made us in his image. This idea of being made in the image of God is um, also known as Imago Dei. Imago Dei is just Latin for image of God. It is the assertion that everything about us has purpose because it was made by a God of purpose. We are image bearers meant to reflect God in the world. I think about Daniel chapter 3. Uh, Pastor Brian still getting that wrong. Pastor Ryan, um, earlier in his series on Daniel, went through Daniel chapter 3 and talked about Nebuchadnezzar and how he created this golden statue of himself and how he wanted to be worshipped and wanted to be this big deal. And he, you know, he wanted all of these people to acknowledge that he was, a, you know, a god. Nebuchadnezzar essentially was trying to make a reflection of who he was in this statue so that when folks saw him, it would bring him glory. Well, like Satan, awfully do, Satan often does, he took something that God created, 
and he tried to thwart it, right? Nebuchadnezzar was made in the image of God. Well, his pride led him to trying to create a statue in his image to reflect his glory. Poorly executed as well, I may say, because Daniel and his friends said, no, we're not going to bow to this statue. As a Christ bearer, how do you reflect Christ in your different circles of influence? If you acknowledge that God has created us in His image, we are image bearers, which means that we are to project and portray God in our lives visibly. How do you reflect Christ in your life? And I'm not here to pick on you and, and poke and prod at you and say, hey, you need to do more. That's not the intent here. Please hear my heart. But I'm just asking a simple question. If you are intended to glorify God, to be a reflection, an image bearer of God, then how are you doing that in your life? It's a tough question to answer for some of us. If we're honest, we don't feel like we do good enough. We don't feel like there's actually enough that we could ever do. That's not the question. Just I would ask you just to consider how are you reflecting God in your life? It may seem as if, for us, that's a tough question because we are people of sin. Like, how can a flawed, finite being reflect a pure, infinite God? How? We are people born in sin, and as a result, are broken reflections of the image of God. As if we were mirrors at first, in the Garden of Eden, and then Adam and Eve's sin broke that mirror. We are still mirrors, but we are now a broken reflection of what it should mean to be a image bearer of God. And if not for Christ, we would still be there. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 talks about how we all have inherited the sin of our father, Adam, and therefore... We, too, inherit it through Christ, the forgiveness of sin. You see, there is us, and then there's our mission, but in the middle there's this void, there's this gap of us being able to reflect the image of God, to be image bearers, to glorify God in our daily lives. Like, that is the intent, that is the purpose, the, the purpose of God. We were not able to do that we are not able to do that without Christ coming along and reconciling us. Think back to our prayer day, our prayer focus for today, and reconciling us, which means renewing the relationship between us and God and even renewing our ability to live out holy lives, right? Apart from the grace of God, our plight would be to live our lives trapped between the mission we are meant to pursue and the inability to do that very thing. And I think that's a lot of the frustration with a lot of people in the world, especially in religion, to try to live out a moral code separate from God. It's impossible. God's grace by sending Christ in our place to suffer 
according to Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power, excuse me, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Just consider that for one second. Christ was the means to which we can now renew our purpose in being image bearers of God. Christ not only fulfilled the image bearing mission, he completed all of the shortages between us and God. Praise God. Hallelujah. He gives us not only the means to be reconciled, but he also exemplified what it means to be an image bearer. Jesus is the example, but he's also our substitute. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 explain that we are just broken, broken people. And that if not for the opportunity to know God through the blood of Christ, we would be eternally forsaken. But God sent Christ to die for our sins, going all the way back to the sins that were committed in the Garden of Eden, continuing throughout all of history, even to the sins that we committed today. Now, I know some of y'all are up in this joint looking like you ain't sinned all day. You look good. Ain't sinned all day. Well, maybe the sins that you committed yesterday. And if you haven't committed any sins yesterday, I got a feeling there's at one point in your life, at some point in your life where you sinned against God. Well, guess what? That one sin alone is enough to break the standard by which God requires us to live in total perfection and holiness. And Christ had to come and die in the form of a lamb, or in the form of a human, but in the symbolic form of a lamb for sacrifice. And we celebrate that this season, especially heading up to Easter, that Christ is the atonement for our sins. He gave His life. He sacrificed His life. He shed His blood so that we can be reconciled to God. And as He lay dead, three days later, he rose from the grave and then eventually he ascended on high into heaven so that he can advocate for us to God. That is the whole idea behind what the good news is for us. We no longer have this tension, this space between our ability to live out our design purpose for God because Christ has now bridged that gap for us. And if you haven't accepted that in your life today, I would ask you to consider having a conversation with us as we help you to get closer to God and really design, define what your mission is in life. Christ is our righteousness credited to our account. He gave his life through the Holy Spirit, which lives in us now, we are able to live out the purpose of God through Christ's death, His resurrection, and now we have the ability to live out our mission. Why does Jesus matter for your ability to be an image of God or to be the image of God or being made in the image of God? 
Why does the Holy Spirit matter for your ability to be the image of God? And then secondly, what does the Holy Spirit matter for your ability to be the image of God? We don't have as much time as I'd like today to take apart to really talk about the Holy Spirit's role in that process. But I would submit to you to read Romans chapter 8, especially the first 11 verses and the idea of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and giving us the ability supernaturally to live out God's image. Now, we've covered a lot really quickly and we're pretty much a little more than halfway through the, the content here before we get into our group discussion time. So I'd like to just kind of um, summarize what we've covered so far. So the first question we asked is, what is your mission? Then we talked about the Imago Dei being made in the image of God. We got that from Psalms 139, verses 13 and 14. And then we also looked in Genesis chapter 1, verses, um, oh gosh, I forget which verse. Hold on. Twenty-six and twenty-eight. Thank you. And then we moved on to Genesis chapter five, I think verse one, and Genesis chapter nine, I believe, first verse eight, to continue to see this thread that we are made in the image of God. Image of God and imago dei are the same thing. Imago dei is just image of God in Latin. We moved on to talk about how sin derailed our mission to be able to live in the image of God, and then how Jesus restored that mission. Now we're back on track here with our lesson. I'm going to read to you out of Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covered the sea. We too, as image bearers, have been placed on this earth. We literally cover the earth from Antarctica to Greenland. <laughs> I don't know what's higher than Greenland. I think it's the North Pole. Um, from hemisphere to hemisphere, we cover this globe and God has placed us wherever we are to be image bearers. We are placed strategically by God to reflect His glory wherever we are. What evidence do you have of this in your life? Can you see examples of how God positioned you in order to bear His image? I'll be honest, I think many of you have heard my story, but we had no intent on coming to Virginia but my desire was to be used by God. And we felt Him calling us to this area, and here we are. God has placed us here for a very specific reason. Can you recall a specific example or a time in your life where God has used you to reflect His image? What a humbling idea, but He does it. He does it all the time. I would challenge you to walk away from at least today with um, two ideas of what it means to be the image of God where you are. First, we are to demonstrate, and then secondly, we are to declare. To demonstrate means that we are to live out our lives in a way, the action of our lives to reflect God. Where we work, where we go get coffee, where we play games online even, whatever you do in your life, that is your life. That is meant for you to demonstrate God's glory, right? But we also are called to declare 
God's glory, to make a declaration, public declaration. For example, if you're at, let's say I was at Glen, Glen's Market earlier, that farmer's market up yonder, and um, I was demonstrating my love for people and, and this idea of being an image bearer of God because I was talking to a couple of firefighters and EMS folks. I'm really looking to be able to do some outreach to that community. But I declared my love for them by telling them, hey, we're praying for you. God loves you. And um, we care about what y'all are doing and we care about your mental health and so forth. And see, there's a difference from just walking to walk. You got to talk the talk too. It is my understanding. It is biblical Understanding it is definitely this church's understanding that in order to live out the image of God, to live out your mission on earth, you must do those two things, both declare and demonstrate. And if you're not doing both of those things, then you're, you're, you're missing, the, you're missing the, the opportunity. What aspects of your life do you find yourself most easily being able to do that? Do you find it easier to demonstrate the gospel or do you find it easier to declare the gospel? There's a little survey on your handout. I think it's one to 10. Um, I put for me, it's an eight out of 10 for me in terms of demonstrating the gospel, but to declare the gospel, well, that's probably, I'm I'm at a four out of 10. Demonstrating and declaring the gospel when combined provide a definition of what it means to be a true image bearer of God. We're going to get ready to get into our discussions here, but I want to leave you with one final thought. Every day, scores of men and women and children move throughout their lives without the knowledge of the glory of God. Those of us who have been taken captive by the glory are taken, are then given the gracious privilege of being an image of that glory to these very people until the day Jesus returns. And it truly can be said that God's glory fills the earth forever. In your discussion guide, you'll see there are five questions. Each of the questions that you have are for your groups to discuss. The way this is going to work is I will um, give you about four or five minutes for each question. And please try to stick to that time so that we can get through all five questions in one night. And at the end of our, you know, our period of time with one question or question one or two and so forth, I'll ask one of the groups to just, you know, say if they felt that their answer was very um, thought provoking or, or maybe just something from their group. Um, that could speak to, you know, uh, a response that someone gave to the question, and then we'll move on to the second, third, and fourth, so forth question. And um, at the end, we'll we'll conclude in prayer. This should take about twenty to twenty-five minutes of time, so that'll put us out of here at about seven thirty. Um, for those of you that are listening on a podcast, I would challenge you to go through these questions on your own, um, questions one through five, and reflect on the answers that you find yourself coming up with.